Hello and welcome to what I'm having to admit to myself we're calling Banjax's Unbelievable Gear Chain Circus. Um, <laughs> or Bugs, for short. With a C, but Bugs for short. This Welcome to Bugs be with a C. <laughs> welcome to this is, our, this is our second series. It's going to come out probably on a slightly more regular schedule and probably with a slightly more variable episode size. It's going to be a little bit more um, scripted and, um, and heavily edited than our main show, probably. And also, it is our first show set in somebody else's setting. So it would be remiss of me not to start by thanking Adrian Tchaikovsky author of um, about, I think, I was going to say a hundred as a joke, but I think he might have written a hundred books. Um, that's probably, probably not a hundred books. Um, I, I feel like it's about 20, but in about three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's got to be, yeah. Yeah, a, a prolific author, award winner, <laughs> um, fun, laughing guy, um, <laughs> and very generous pal who... Um, as, so we could play in his sandbox for a while. Yeah, let's play in his sandbox and like broadcast it and everything. Uh, the world that we're playing in, the like place that we're in, doesn't really have a name, um, just because it's the world as far as the people who live in it are aware. Um, but the specific place we're in is um, generally going to be a place called the Lowlands, which is where most of the book series called The Shadows of the Apt is set. Um, which starts with Empire in Black and Gold, if you're looking to um, uh, get a feel for the broader world that we're living in. Which you should, because the books are great. Oh, the books are really good. Um, <laughs> I, I found out over the course of asking him, hey, can we make a show set in this uh, setting? I, I found out that there are four um, short story collections also set in the same place. Nice. And that's, that, that hurts me because I have almost finished rereading the main series for the first time. <laughs> and I have four in play original books to read. Um, I'm very sorry for your pain. It's 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 um it's a lot. It's just it's just a lot is all <laughs> the added weight on your bookshelves. <laughs> oh they are going to snap. Um so yeah uh, we are but we are not following along any of the events of the main series. Um this whole series takes place um, several years before the opening of the first book. Hi, Future Mel here. Uh, just wanted to say that I got this wrong. Um, we're really only starting about a year out from the start of the first books, which means that there will be some references to the large-scale events of the book series in later acts, in case that bothers you. Anyway, back to you past me. The world as it is, just an overview, this is a world where people belong to Kindon. They have um, insect ideals, forms, um, that they are connected to um, in a way that they inherit from their family, mostly. And this gives them various powers that we would think of as magic. Uh, for example, um, Teverdo, what can you do? Well, I am a fly. And I can fly. It's not magic as far as Tavolo is concerned. Magic is a whole other thing. This is the art of my kingdom. We can all fly. And also cling to things and be really hard to swat. And other kingdom have other arts that they can call upon. 
However, as mentioned with magic, there is a second division in the world between the apt and the inapt. So most of the lowlands and most of and the wasp empire um, to its east is largely populated by or ruled over by apt kingdom. Apt kingdom can use machinery. They can use things like levers and doorknobs. Inapt kingdom can't use machinery. If you give an inapt kingdom a crossbow and tell them, hey, point it at the person you want to die and squeeze the trigger, they will be baffled. It doesn't matter how much you explain it to them, they can't pull together the line of cause and effect for machinery. What they can do is understand magic. We, this world is some hundreds of years after a revolution um, precipitated by the invention of the crossbow, in which the moths of the lowlands and several other inapt kingdom were overthrown by their apt uh, subjects and slaves, um, leading to the situation we have today where most of the apps don't even believe that magic is real. Politically, we find, we find ourselves at the edge of the Wasp Empire, a young, hungry empire which has been swallowing up the little city-states of the plains and hills um, inland for the, last, um, for the last two generations, less than a hundred years. And the lowlands are telling themselves, it's fine, any minute now they'll stop. They've had enough now, that's as far as they want to go. They'll stop. Yeah. And if you want to find out what happens as a consequence of that, read the books. Read the books. But <laughs> we don't care about that because we are following the lives of some circus folk um, who have all come to join Banjax's unbelievable gear chain circus for one reason or another. Um, we have three performers and one costumer. So let's see what they're doing right now. Lorca the Disapparist is more of a magician than he pretends to be. The great contraptions that captivate the audience mean nothing to him at all, while he baffles them in turn with the simplest of tricks. And yet, in this moment, he wishes that he were more of a magician. In the audience, he sees a pair of grey youths in thin robes, staring up at him with pupilless eyes. His enemy have found him. Uh, you will recognize these slightly built uh, young people as being Mothkind and most likely from Tharn, which is nearby. Mm. And the Mothkind and Mosquito Kindon have a history that goes back a long way back. They fought a struggle over control of, well, the world, they say, but. The lowlands, at least, and the mosquitoes lost. You have learned this story at your parents' knees, and you know that. And you know that if they find you, they will kill you. You are in the middle of your act, and they are there, staring up at you. What do you do? Um. Are they looking at me like they, like they can see what I am? Um, it's hard to say exactly. I mean, it's hard to say where they're looking at all because their eyes are just 
blank white discs. But why don't you roll me empathy? Sure, I'll have to get my fate roller up on it. Completely forgot I was playing a game that required rolling. Mm-hmm. Plus one. As far as you can tell from that, you know, um, they don't seem to be. But then the moths always were good liars. Right. Okay. I think I'll have to find a way to to end my show in a way that's not going to make them more suspect of me than I think they might be already. Hmm. The audience is starting to react as it takes you a moment to assess the situation here. I should note this was technically an overcome role because you were trying to accomplish something. Hmm. Are you waiting for me to pick something to do? Yep. Okay. It is, you know, it is towards the opening of your act. You know, you have come out, there is applause, you have had a chance to look over the audience with your eyes easily piercing the darkness that they're in. Okay. I... God, I don't know what to do with shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to carry on with the show. Okay. But I'm going to make um, a bigger deal of appearing apt using the uh, using the stagehands and the equipment that they uh, that they um, they provide for my act. Okay, it's okay. You're trying to do that. They are certainly like watching intently, right? They are not just here for amusement. Um. So I think at that point, you are trying to deceive. I think this is an overcome action, right? You have a concrete thing that you want to accomplish. Yes. And they're providing active opposition. By being discerning, yeah. Yeah. Can I invoke an aspect? You absolutely can. Um, Go on. I believe if you're invoking it for like um, plus two, you actually get to do that after you roll. Okay. Okay, I will roll then. Oh, I'm invoking it. Because <laughs> I rolled, I rolled, I rolled a minus two. That's not good. Uh, you can choose to re-roll your dice rather than um, taking the plus two. Okay. That'll cost me a fate point. Yeah, either way it costs you a fate point. Okay, re-roll. Oh, wait, what, what aspect are you invoking? Um, I was going to... Uh, use imposter. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, I'm a professional imposter. Um, that was not a better role. Oh no. It was slightly better, but not. It was now it's a minus one. Okay, is that minus one? Is that minus one total? Uh, that's that's just with the re-roll, not the, not the extra two dice. I don't understand what you're saying. I re-rolled four dice because I've got a plus four. So, um, you're 
No, the way it works is you roll the dice. Yes. And then you add the result to your skill. Oh, okay. Right, I right, remember so now. That makes that, more sense. Is that four minus one then, for a total of three? That's right. In that case, that means you failed. Oh no! I know. Um, and I think the obvious thing on a fail is, you know, you're trying to make it look as if, as your assistants, like, make all the machinery rattle around you to distract the audience's eye that you are actually interacting with it. But of course, you're not apt. You don't know how, right? <laughs> Fortunately for you, neither do they. They're moths. Yay! Machinery, but they get, but they're picking up on your nervousness. They're picking up on the audiences. They're picking up on the audience, you know, who are figuring as part of the act. They're figuring that you're, you know, misdirecting somehow, but they don't actually understand how or why. Um, but it's attracted the moth's attention. And because you are a magician, uh, you can feel as they begin to, from your perspective, they begin to like pull at the flow of your blood. Uh-oh. They're probing you magically somehow. You can catch them in the audience as they make little gestures and muscle mnemonics that they use to help them cast their spells more effectively. When you fail. Ah, actually, um, I'm sorry, you do have another option. You can choose to succeed at serious cost. Okay, I'm, I'm happy to take the fail. Okay. So you feel one or maybe both of them starting to probe at you. They're trying to sort of feel you out. And uh, you can provide active opposition here. Um, which I assume you'd want to do. Um, so active opposition isn't exactly the same as the defend action. It just means you get to roll one of your stats, in this case magic, um, against the um, thing that someone else is trying to do. Right. Uh, in this case, this is just an overcome act. Oh, I suppose actually, effectively, they're trying to learn one of your aspects. So I guess it's actually a create an advantage, a create an advantage action. Mm. So if they succeeded, they'd probably get to, like, compel your imposter aspect or something. Or invoke, rather. Okay. So I assume you would like to actively resist with magic? Yes. Oh, that's good. Uh, I got plus four with magic. That's uh, plus seven. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you feel them from your perspective because of the way that you think about magic. You know, it feels as if they are, like, pulling at your blood, like, like a tide inside your veins, right? They are trying to get the feel of it, get a kind of metaphysical taste of your blood. What do you do to stop that? Hmm. I suppose, then, I would have to make that tide unsavoury, but not in a way that's going to out me as what I am. Mm. So 
I am going to push. Hmm. Trying to think how best to get rid of them. Are you like bringing up the taste of woodlouse? Kind of mask your own, your own real blood. Yeah, I think that'd be a good way to do it because I have tasted woodlouse blood. I know what it tastes. Certainly have. So, So I will. I will manipulate my essence so that they get the wrong they get the wrong taste. Okay. So yeah, they they you feel them kind of like probing at your veins some more and rather than resist force on force, you just misdirect. You let them taste your reservoirs rather than your true blood. Of course, they will be thinking of it very differently, but the outcome is the same. They understand you as a woodlouse. They perhaps suspect you as a real magician because they, in their memories, the woodlice, the woodlice are ancient allies and rivals. But still, they seem, they, they withdraw that probing touch. And they seem distracted now, allowing you to finish your act without more without much more hassle leaving the stage to make room for elegant scale hello everybody if you're enjoying bugs and you'd like to listen to the whole of chapter one right now you can go to patreon.com slash coapcast and pledge as little as one pound a month to help support the show if you pledge more then we'll give you a shout out Thanks to Alexandria, who already has. And now, back to the show. Back in your dressing room, though, you look in the mirror as, as a thought. So you are in disguise. You are not a real woodlouse. You are a mosquito wearing a woodlouse's face. And every day you use up a little bit of the blood that is helping you maintain this disguise. Do you check your mirror obsessively or do you avoid looking? I think I do check. Mm. I think I look at myself quite often. You inspect your disguise and you just feel that, have the features sharpened a little bit? Have the bands of gray retreated slightly further than they did before you went out? It's, it's not as if you have a real tank of blood that you can dip a stick into and find out how full it is, like the apps do with their beasts, but you just suspect that that exhausted you just that tiny bit more that it shaved days or weeks off of your disguise. But they did not see you today, and soon you'll be gone from this place. As the white-eyed man steps onto the stage and the limelights fall, there are curious and sceptical murmurs. All of those stop when he begins to shine, not only with brilliant white sunlight, but with colour breaking and rippling over his body, piercing through his silk shift as he rises onto the air in iridescent wings, 
In silence, they adore him. And for a moment, he is the centre of their world. But as the sun descends and leaves the stage, the ringmaster is waiting in the wings, ready to usher in the moon. She is the, mm, the second feeling, maybe, the other star. Candia, a grasshopper, a grasshopper woman of middling years, and she is carrying, clutching in her hand as she always does, this beautiful white violin. You are the headline act. You are the one whose face is painted on the flyers. You are the one who gets the final act of the show, except Candaya does not perform on schedule. She does not perform on request. Even so, the ringmaster cannot let her go. Her music is transporting. It is haunting. It does not belong in a circus, even less so than your performances do. But it is here that she has chosen to be, and so it is here that she performs. After you, leaving you in her shadow, eclipsing you. You are left there standing just behind the leg with her as the ringmaster hurries out onto the stage to let the audience know that there will be a surprise encore. The worst thing about it is that when she looks at you, there's no malice, no rivalry in it. It's as if she hardly notices you at all. What would you like to do? So there might not be any rivalry or malice from her side of things, but Elegant scale does not feel the same way. I'm in that case, I think this is a good opportunity for a compel. So I have at my disposal as the GM an unlimited pool of fate points with which to compel your aspects. Okay. So since you do have the aspect um a center of attention, right? That's your trouble. Mm. I think logically you you do something now to, like, express your rivalry or to try and upstage her. Um, so essentially I'm offering you a fate point in exchange for, you know, doing something irresponsible. Like, a compel, is, a compel is urging you to do something against your character's, perhaps, best interests in service of their aspects or to cause some trouble. You can either accept the compel um, or you can pay a fate point to deny it. Uh, I'll accept it. Yeah, what, what, what are you thinking? Uh, I was thinking letting her go out there and start her performance and then come back in for my own sort of encore, trying to upstage her. Nice, all right. I think that works. Um... I can, you know, I, I figure I can make it look like, like a show, like it's part of the show, but she would know. Okay, sure. I think, I think that works. So, she steps out onto the um in, into the into the ring. She doesn't say anything herself. She rarely speaks at all. She she can, 
but she rarely does. And she, the ringmaster does all the patter for her. And she picks up her violin, sets the chin rest to her face, and she begins to play. The sound evokes a pale moon rising over the steps. It evokes a deep and profound homesickness. The worst kind, the kind that is for a home that no longer exists. There are very few dry eyes in the audience as the mournful, sweet melody begins to speed up, intensify, her heel thumping on the hollow stand that she's on, adding a backing beat to her music as loss and missingness catalyze into grief and rage. What is elegant scale homesick for? What does he miss? He misses seeing other butterflies. The the specific kaleidoscopes of colour that mean family to him. Mm. You are so wrapped up in memories and thoughts that you almost miss your chance. By the time you realise that she has stopped playing, that she has long since stopped playing, the last echo of her strings has died away a minute ago already, perhaps. The ringmaster is already stepping up, preparing to make the cursing call, preparing to wrap up the show. But, you know, you can't let her have the last word, can you? Of course not. So what do you do? I think I'll try to, using the last uh, strains of the music, I would like to burst onto the, the, out into the ring and try to use, use that energy and my own skills to uh, enrapture the audience again. So I think this is an overcome action, right? Because um, you're trying to achieve some particular effect, yeah? Hmm. Okay, so I think coming out with a surprise encore and, like, um, after not, not only, you know, after these people have already watched you perform tonight and without, you know, a particular encore rehearsed and in the aftermath of someone else's performance, all while the ringmaster is not actually prepared for you to be performing again and still have it come off looking good, I think that would require a superb result. You're placing, you're placing, so what that means is you'd have to, with your role plus your skill, plus whatever any other bonuses you can manage, you'd have to hit plus five or better. Otherwise, it's not going to go down well. It's going to go down pretty badly if you fall short. Take that chance. Okay, so that was two sixes, a five, and a two. Okay, so that's three pluses and a minus, so that's plus two. So that knocks you up to superb, which is a tie. Hmm. So 
you step out, right? You you kind of step on her applause, you know. Well, there isn't any applause, like people are too stunned, but you step on her aftermath, right? You push over the ringmaster trying to close things down. And you what, take to your wings? Yeah? Yes. And you perform something new, a little raw, right? Because you can't just do the same dance again. But it goes well, right? It goes well enough. Yeah. People, people are duly impressed. They don't, they don't, the audience doesn't take it as strange. Um, the ringmaster might be a little bit annoyed with your antics, but, well, the audience is happy. Who cares if it stretches out, stretches out closing time by another 10, 15 minutes? But when you, when you walk off stage again, ready for the curtain call, yeah, Kandaya is no longer looking through you. Maybe before it was just performance, but now you have stepped on something for her. Something important, something sacred. She's not going to forget this. There is that real anger hatred, outrage in her eyes when she stares at you now. No, that's that's fine. I mean, I had to do what I felt I had to do, so... I don't know if it would do much to help, but I think uh, Elegant Scale would, would bow to her in a, a sort of thank you for this performance. Maybe a little... Not mocking, he doesn't mean it mockingly, but very much a rival sort of way. So, with that, you know, the curtain call happens, everyone comes out, everyone bows, and we move to the next of our prelude scenes, which happens the following morning. Pivolo does not sleep well these days. The dreams start in different ways, but they all end the same way, with red gore coating his hands, a stain that will not wash away. Here is a man who has run far, far away from his troubles, only to find that he brought them with him, after all. Most mornings his regrets slide away with his bedsheets, but this morning is different. This morning, there is a hazy figure at the edge of his vision, and a plaintive voice, no louder than a whisper. You left me. I sit bolt upright. There is nobody here. There is a silver locket on a fine chain around my neck, which I never take off, and I clutch at it and try to catch my breath, wait for my heart to calm down. You know how your skin prickles when someone touches you ever so lightly or, or doesn't quite touch you, but just close enough to brush the hair on your arms? Mm-hmm. You feel just that very slight prickling on your shoulder. I turn to look. There's nobody there. Except... Wait, there is... There is still... A little shadow, it's just at the corner of your vision. I keep turning, just not sure, just not sure, just not quite willing to commit to the fight that I'm imagining it. You 
can turn and all you'll see is your headboard and the wall of your little trailer until you turn all the way back around and you're just staring at the heavy curtains that let you sleep through the day if you have a late show. I rub the back of my neck with one hand and swear under my breath and then go about the business of getting dressed, opening the curtains, shaking it off. Opening the curtains helps. It helps a lot. I, is, would you say that you're a you're a a, a chipper man, an insouciant man? I certainly try to be. Hmm. I think perhaps your fellow actors wouldn't recognise you at this moment. Less less cheerful, less ebullient than normal. Yeah, but the sunlight does help. You can't see that little shadow in the corner of your vision anymore. And besides, you're you're shaking off the fugue of sleep now. I wash my face in the basin and determinedly whistle a little tune. Hmm. And so girded, you can step outside and face your day. The spider, Vesperia is hard at work before most of the performers are out of bed. The calluses on their hands are unbecoming for one of the Aristoi, but they have left that life behind for a lesser fame as a costumier par excellence, and outfits must be mended and amended before the lights are lit. Absorbed in their work, they pay no mind to the stranger entering their tent until he has made himself comfortable sitting across from them. When they look up, they are startled to see a pale, angular face looking back at them. Another spider if there ever was one. Can I help you? Oh, I am, of course, entirely at your service, he says, giving you a small, self-effacing bow. And that smile just has a light hint of mockery to it, but that could just be his attitude. What are you doing in my tent? One could ask you what you're doing over here. He gives you that same smile. Only if one were unobservant. You can see I am working. Well, that's true, but I mean, the, well, Empire, I suppose, at this point. Aren't you a little far from home? Vesperia? Why do you know my name? Just been sent by an interested party to check in on things. Situations, see how things are going. How have you been? Who is this interested party? What's your mother's name? Liliana. He gives he gives a slight he gives a slight frown. Would it surprise you so much to know that Liliana is concerned for your well-being? If Liliana sent you, you are not welcome. He shrugs off that response with aplomb and says, Who says Liliana sent me? In any case, I'm not here to interfere, if that's what you're worried about. Well, I am here to interfere, but I'm not here to drag you kicking and screaming back to the Spiderlands, if that's what you're worried about. You clearly have a... and he looks around your tent. Cozy little place over here. It suits me. He clicks his tongue and looks around again. Well, in any case, I've uh, decided to try the lifestyle a bit myself. I mean, running away to join the circus is ever so exciting. So I'm sure we can see more of each other. Chatterless wit. And who are you? What is your name? 
oh, where are my manners? He gives that slight half bow again and says, my name is Hollis, and I remain, of course, entirely at your service. But I sense I'm cramping your style. He um, starts to leave his seat. Have you officially joined the circus? He kind of waves the question in a way, so, well, yes or no. Either way, there's nothing prohibiting me from simply travelling in your direction, is there? Are you performing? Oh, goodness, no. That's ghastly. Well, then you don't need costumes. So, I have no need of you. Very well, well, if you ever change your mind and... Or just want to chat with someone a little closer to home, just say the word. I'll always be here. Vess has already briskly turned away <laughs> and is has resumed their work, though they are keeping they are keeping Hollis in the corner of their eye. Uh, he will duck out of the tent flap, and he's gone. You were uh, leaving that line, leaving that to lie for now. Yeah, uh, you will. You know, eventually, through the grapevine, you know, or just from spotting him about, you'll find out that he's managed to sort of weasel his way into a um, sort of, you know, clerical, quasi-managerial role, you know, liaising, making sure they are going to be able to set up, that kind of thing. Mm. Doing PR. Yeah, do you want to, do you want to maybe, now, now that you're not, like, being... Um, socialed by him. Do you want to try something like, I don't know, maybe maybe it would be investigate or something to try and like work out who he is? Yeah, I was gonna ask if there was like, I don't know, does the circus have an HR sort of person that I can talk to and see if he's like officially working with the circus? And if so, if maybe... He had any references, or if he's just like pretending Ooh. to work with the circus or something like that. That's really nice. Yeah, that does sound like uh, you're trying to. Ooh, what would this be? I think probably like uh, uh, overcome, right? So overcoming with investigate. Yeah. I would say this would be like. Um, I'd say your opposition here is um, good. You know, like he's not a careless, he's not a careless person, but at the same time, he he's he he is a spider, um, mm -hmm. maybe an Aristos. So he's he, you know, like he will certainly just just reflexively be covering his trail. Yeah. So give me some sort of investigation roll. Uh, that's a two. Uh, do you want to bump this up, or are you happy to mess? Um, yeah, I'll try bumping it up. Okay. What do you think? Uh, cannot escape the dance or something? Because you'd, you'd probably be invoking a thing, right? Invoking a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think cannot escape the dance. Right. So, you know, like, he has been taken on. He, he had a letter of reference. And you know the name on the letter of reference. Like, it's all very ornate and beautifully stamped. And it's not a real name, it's not a real house. Um, but it is a pseudonym that you recognise. Mm. A little sloppy, you know? 
it's not your families though you see you recognize the kind of set of uh, alternative documentation um as one that's used by Alyssa of House Uriel. Alyssa is a manipulator. She's a magician. Uriel is not particularly close to your house. Even geographically, like the head of their house is not even in the same city. So it seems like he was probably telling the truth when he says that he wasn't, you know, sent here on your mother's orders. Although, of course, it's entirely possible that he's here on both people's orders. He's probably not working for your mother. Or if he is, then she's sort of a secondary client, you know? Mm-hmm. But he does know that your mother would be interested in where you are. And he is a spider. And he is, if not an Aristos, then certainly caught up in the dance. So you should probably keep an eye on him. been listening to Banjax's Unbelievable Gear Chain Circus. Your performers were Ben as Salve Tivolo, Moss as Vesperia of Tisano, Chris as Elegant Scales, and Haz as Lotka the Disabarous. Narration, editing, and composition was provided by me, Mel, and the setting is used by kind permission of Adrian Tchaikovsky, whose writing can be found wherever books are sold. Excuse me? Uh... Slightly coarse because I could not remember if the word was ringmaster or ring lord.